promoting continuing education is is really important in, in my mind. And, you know, the more educated your staff is, the more knowledgeable they are, the better your entire team is. So if you send someone to a conference or multiple people to a conference and they learn four or five pearls of knowledge to bring back to that clinic, that's going to elevate your practice so much. And just the the sending of those those technicians out to a conference to to give them education and and give them not only just the the education aspect of it but the the benefit of being able to leave the hospital on the hospital's dime to go uh, hang out and network with people and meet new people that are in that field because so many times you know when, before I started going to conferences I knew the people in my clinic and that was it Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, and leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is generously sponsored by AmeriVet Veterinary Partners. Better business, happier vets, healthier pets. We are super excited to have these amazing guests with us today, Jeff Backus and Dave Cowan, host of Vet Tech Cafe and Tap Room. Thank you so much, fellas, for joining us today. I am super looking forward to chatting up with you guys a little bit. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. I'm really looking yeah, forward to it as well. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Yeah. And congrats on your podcast. This is yeah. awesome. I encourage uh, our listeners today to check out Vet Tech Cafe and the Tap Room. It is amazing. And uh, you guys have done a great job. It's super polished. Uh, it's an amazing you. resource for technicians to go to. And quite frankly, as a manager, I, I enjoyed it as just as much, too. I've learned a lot just from listening. Jeff, why don't we start with you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm not going to read your bio. So give me a rundown of who you are and how you got to where you are today. Uh, sure. So uh, I'm Jeff Backus. I have been in veterinary medicine since 1995. I uh, started as an assistant, finally went through and got my RVT credential uh, in 2009. And I did an alternate route program here in California, not understanding fully what the difference was between alternate route and AVMA program, but came an RVT and I was working emergency and critical care at that time, became a VTS in emergency and critical care uh, in 2013. Somewhere along the way, uh, David also recruited me to the board of directors for the California RVT Association. So I've been uh, on the board there, but I, th- I want to say 2012, um, and currently the sitting president. And the last four years, uh, I was in New England uh, at Tufts University. My wife uh, was in vet school there, so I moved out there the summer before her third year. 
Um, and then we stayed through two internship years. So we've just come back to Southern California in November. And now I am working remotely, which I never thought I would be able to do as a veterinary technician, but I work remotely for the ASPCA Animal Poison Control Center. And, and that's basically it in a nutshell. And Dave, Dave Cowan, so why don't you do the same? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got where you are today. All right. Well, let's see. Let's start before I actually got into veterinary medicine. I was, I, I just loved zoos and uh, my goal was to actually get a job in a zoo. So I started in college. My my internship was at the Franklin Park Zoo in Boston and I fell in love with it. You know, it didn't actually pan out that I got a job in zoo medicine, but right after college, I got a job at an educational farm where I worked there for about a year or so. And then I moved to the Animal Rescue League, which is a, a shelter and then found my first job in general practice. And as a, a general practice, air quotes, technician, uh, because that's what they were calling us, even though that's not what we were, there for about 10 years and uh, took the VTE, passed it, and became an, a CVT up in New Hampshire, and then transferred over to emergency medicine. And the sponge learner in me kind of took off and and worked for a few years in emergency and then decided to go for my VTS in emergency critical care. And then, let's see, 2016, I decided I had had enough of winter and decided that I wanted to move out of New England and down into the south. And so I moved down here, worked at a, a big referral practice and have moved around to a couple different referral practices, dabbled a little bit in teaching for the last year or so, and now I'm working for a company that does a lot of relief work and also starting to start up a CE and training portion of that of that company. So that's kind of where I'm at now, and obviously the Vet Tech Cafe is, is just like Jeff, it's it's one of my favorite things that I do in veterinary medicine right now. It's fantastic. And that's one of the one of the reasons why we started our podcast is we wanted to shed light on things that were not just working in a clinic or working in a hospital. We wanted to bring those career right. opportunities to light. So hopefully yeah. we've we've done that yeah. for people. If there's into a word a better word for 2020 than adaptation, I don't know what is because <laughs> it was changing so right. ra- so rapidly. And, and now right. people are yeah. doing that with their careers and and they're looking at what can I do from home because now I have to teach my kids at home or after this I have to that and so. Like if there was ever a time to to push that envelope and think about what else can I do while still under the veterinary medicine umbrella and maybe something we'll chat about later, but so many people, they get to that point in their career working in a clinic and they think that they're done, they've done all they can do and they they move Mm -hmm. on to other careers and there's so much you can do still under this umbrella if that's what you want to do and, and so, yeah. So Dave, if I can go back to you, if you had a favorite book, podcast, CE class, something that left a lasting effect on you, what would you uh, bring attention to or share with us today? Seeing David Liss um, <laughs> speaking at IVEX, um, he, I kind of model the way that I speak after I'm him. I'm just going to stay quiet and, and put, I mean, you David, know, you're, you're, get real you are, red here. You are so engaged with everyone in that room and... <laughs> You sell whatever, whatever, okay. you, whatever you're speaking about, you are selling it. And I think you Aww. said on our cast, our podcast, that if you're not jazzed up about what you're talking about, get off the stage. Cause yes, right. <laughs> you know, I, remember I remember that. That, yeah. that was, yes. a, that was also, that came from a talk that I did at IVEX about how to give a talk. Yeah. Yeah. And um, look, Andrew, they, they put me at this world renowned emergency critical care 
place where many people have given lectures, whether it's to their own teams or, or to, you know, internationally, and said, give a talk about giving a talk. And I had to make up some bull. Like, I mean, I just made, you know, <laughs> needed to make sure that I came up with that. But that was one of my points was I'm not going to give you some technical about how to put together a PowerPoint. I'm going to tell you that if you get up here and sound monotone, y- you need to get off the stage. <laughs> well, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why I left teaching, because I, I was not into it. And my lectures were monotone and I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't need to be here anymore. So Jeff, I'll pose the same question to you. I knew, I knew of conferences, but I had never been to one. And so, you know, the doctor I worked for and the doctors at the emergency clinic I worked for, of course, all went all the time, but I didn't know that there was actually like a technician portion of the, of the program. And, mm-hmm. you know, in 2006, I, I don't even know how big that was. I went to several so technicians. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I went to several lectures, but I remember I was sitting in a lecture on DKA and it was given by a technician. And I, I wish I could remember her name and who it was. It was a fantastic lecture, but I remember sitting in that room thinking someday, this is what I want to do. You know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever even met that speaker or, uh, uh, worse yet, gosh, I hope not that I'm like Facebook friends with her or something and just don't have, haven't made the link yet. Right. Um, but I, I, I definitely want to find out who that was because, uh, I, I mean, 15 years later, I still remember that as like the light bulb moment for me that there was actually a path for technicians, not just again, in the, in the four walls of an emergency or critical care practice, but that that whole other world existed in terms of lecturing, further educating yourself and learning outside of what you learn in the walls of that particular clinic that you work for. Um, and it, it's still to this day. Um, I mean, actually, I think, I think I even still have on one of my notepads, the notes I took in that lecture. Um, I just really wish I could remember who it was, um, to thank them, but yeah, it was fan. Yeah, she Come was forward. She was fantastic. She was like just super energetic and and as as Dave, as you were just talking about with David, like she was super into it and like it was not just like this is what DKA is, but this is what we can do as technicians to treat DKA. And it- so our listeners, I'll just kind of clarify, take a second here. Um, many of them are going to be veterinary managers, is often where we're going to be uh, kind of selling the podcast, and it may get picked up everywhere. But for the listeners, I want you guys to recognize. And, and Andrea is going to talk about this in a little bit, that Dave and Jeff are not just credentialed veterinary technicians, but are veterinary technician specialists in emergency critical care. And we're going to talk about that. So they are referring to the critical care conference that's held every year. It's an international summit for the entire world to come and talk about critical care. And there are veterinary technicians and VTSs, vet tech specialists, that present lectures. And they're referring to diabetes when it's a really sick diabetic that's really dehydrated and probably stays overnight at the practice and gets insulin and everything. And these guys know how to treat that. I mean, that's the level of which uh, a critical care technicians that they are. So I wanted to, to make sure that our guests kind of knew, knew what those things are. Um, and that leads me into, you two have started a movement. You two have started something that I think was desperately needed in veterinary technician world, this idea that they're not alone and that they come from a lot of similar backgrounds. And and I think you've made some points on your podcast about how the letters are the same, but the jobs can be very different with the gal that you interviewed that works in research and lab animal mm-hmm. medicine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So your podcast, the Vet Tech Cafe, the Vet Tech Tap Room, has been tremendously successful. And you've shared some of that success with us, having been downloaded. And you'll, you'll tell us, but how many countries and where and which. So tell us about 
you know, I mean, a lot of stuff happens over drunken IVEX nights. <laughs> yes. uh, and that's often, and I'm sure <laughs> that it. it's the VHMA meeting is the same yep. way where we get real drunk and we yes. decide to take over the world. Right. So what, what was really the impetus for you to start this podcast and what did it aim to achieve and, and what has it achieved? We were out uh, with some friends of ours, uh, some that have been on the podcast. Um, I forget how that actually came up that we started talking about a podcast. And we said, yeah, there's not really podcasts out there for veterinary technicians. And we're like, yeah, we should probably do that. Jeff, I remember there's a there's a long email that I still have of all the ideas that we had that we sent out of like guests we wanted to talk to, um, episode ideas that we wanted to have, even getting into the technical stuff of how do we actually do this? Right. Yeah, I, I think think too, you know, uh, I had thought about doing some kind of vet tech podcast uh, a couple years prior. And I, I, to be very honest, it's kind of sad to admit, but I'm not a huge podcast guy. I, I love the <laughs> idea of podcasts. And I've listened to a few episodes of a few different series. And I think the next day after we were probably a little bit more sober, we were both like, do, do we actually want to do this? And <laughs> And uh, the next couple of weeks, we, we each kind of like divided and conquered, like, you know, you look at this and, and you look, you know, into recording formats and I'll look into how to upload and, and a couple of weeks went by and all of a sudden we were recording a pilot episode and, and it's just, you know, I, I think if you look at our first couple episodes to where we are now, I think our format has, has kind of changed and evolved a little bit, at least I hope it has. But, you Absolutely. know, honestly, like I said earlier, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me what all of these wonderful people do that we've had the opportunity to interview and, but you know, all the credentials that they have, the, the overwhelming majority of them, other than one, I can think of off the top of my head, they all have, you know, credentialed veterinary technician behind their, their name, but they've just all gone a different path. And that's yeah, just, that's totally like, separate routes. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's fascinating yeah. to me because I, I don't think like, you know, Dave said he, he taught for a while. I was an adjunct professor for the vet tech program. I went through, we never really talked to the students about what they mm -hmm. could do. So what, it, what is it achieved? I mean, if, if you were to kind of describe or quantify, not, not so much for yourself, but what do you think it has given the profession? Cause I've seen the impact. I've seen the, the comments and the, uh, the, the cult following that you guys now have. So what's it achieved <laughs> for vet techs? <laughs> It, I don't know that it's generated discussion, but it's at least kept discussion going on a lot yeah. of different topics that, and a lot of different issues that we face as veterinary technicians. And, um, you know, an, another networking opportunity, especially like with this year or this past year, that, that that was largely taken away for so many of us where we couldn't gather at conferences yeah. anymore and do all those kinds of things. So yeah, so right. we could still hear sure. our friends' voices and, and yep. talk to our friends. And so I think that was also really Absolutely. important. But sometimes solutions come out of it, um, as, as you guys were saying earlier, um, you know, they want to take over the world kind of thing. But like, hopefully, you know, small ideas become larger movements. And, and I hope that's kind of partly you know, what we're, what we're accomplishing. Some of those challenging issues that you have either on the state or national level. And so like the nursing initiative and some of these other things. And I think it's just a way to push out information to some of those um, technicians that don't necessarily know that they have somebody that's representing them on a state and national level, or that they have a voice through, you know, the leaders 
of those different organizations. And so I think it's just a way of, of getting more information out to some staff that don't necessarily know in our hospitals that don't necessarily know that there's, you know, this is even a real thing. Yeah. And for me, right. I, I enjoy being part of the discussion. I, I think before this podcast, I was probably one that would read through some of these posts on either social media or, you know, articles or what, what have you, and, and just kind of put that in the back of my mind and not really get involved in it. And now it, it's, it's pushed me to be involved and to actually promote some of these things that I believe in and, and some of these things that I think can make our technicians better and make their make their lives better. Yeah, for sure. There's those warm intrinsic fuzzies, right? So Hopefully. let's switch gears a little bit. Tell me about as a non-technician, as definitely not someone who is a, um, a know-all in this area, which the three of you absolutely are. Tell me a little bit about a technician specialist. What's the difference between yourself and a credentialed RVT? Well, a technician specialist is someone who, well, first of all, is going to be a, a RVT, CVT, or LVT. And then after that, they have decided that they want to go through this crazy process of applying applying for this position. And what it does is it gives you some more some more clout to say that Yes, I do know what I'm talking about because I've done this a lot and I've studied a lot more. The application process is grueling. Um, however, the study process is is 10 times more grueling, the study process, than it is the application process. That drive to get that knowledge. And I, I've always told people that have have gone for their VTS, even if they don't get it, that, that year of applying and studying, even if you don't pass, you are going to be a better technician for it. You are going to learn so much in that process. And I think that yeah, one of the, the main process, differences- I think that's important there. Oh, yeah. And one of the yeah. big differences I see between VTSs and, and RVTs and CVTs is that with a, with an RVT, you go through schooling. Um, there's study guides and there's there's help. There's people that are that are almost holding your hand as you go through this process. Yeah, it's like as, directed learning, right? Exactly. And, and with a, and with I a know VTS, where you're going with this. <laughs> there's no direction. There's here's your study guide. Know everything. Yep. Yep. See you in September. <laughs> that is so true. And I think the other thing that to mention for everybody out there is that uh, you know Dave was kind of talking about the the freeformness of the of the process, but it really is what there is as an internship for a technician in a specific area, and mm. and not to step on doctor's toes, but it is a residency type of situation where where the technician becomes a board certified. Uh, technician in a, in a variety of areas, and so if you if emergency is not your thing, there's dentistry, there's nutrition, there is surgery, there is um, a, a separate type of thing for laboratory medicine. So there's a lot of different areas for an anesthesia, a lot of different areas that technicians can specialize in. And Andrea, we we have a manager specialization, don't yeah. we? Yeah, you do. Yes, right. I was just going to say it sounds so much equivalent to me to, you know, we're managers, but we're not credentialed, right, until we take the extra step to the CVPM process and through that become a certified veterinary practice manager. So on the sense of those credentials and kind of going through that three-year process for managers, it's that same thing of don't worry about it if you don't pass the first time. Not everybody does. And there's plenty of people that have taken two and three and four times to pass. It's that process of what have you learned over the past three years. And I see that kind of that equivalency there of, of, of the process and getting credentialed and then coming out of there and saying, hey, there's like, I mean, it's, it's I'm sure it's much, much uh, more grandiose for RVTs and your numbers, but there's 600 to 800 CVPMs in the world, you know, and, and then to say like, I'm one of them and Dave's, you know, David's one of them and a bunch of our colleagues are, it, and it, it's that elite type of, I've, I've gone through this process. I've done my due diligence. I know what the hell I'm talking about. I, <laughs> I made it through. I survived. Right. And I think for the ECC domain, I think there's 
little oh, right around maybe 450 around the globe and, and we are international we have yep. um, you know representatives from a handful of other countries um, and we are by far the most numerous so uh, you know I would be surprised I, I certainly don't know how many uh, all-encompassing here VTSs there are but I would be surprised if there's more than 12 to 1500 uh, around mm-hmm. the world because some of these right. disciplines have only been in existence for a couple They're of years and, and may only have a yeah, handful of people right. so um, so maybe not even a thousand. I don't know. So yeah, it, it, it is. You know, there is yep. some pride in that, and, and but also that comes with a lot of responsibility as well. Um, yeah. And yeah. Like if I could get my hands on an RVT VTS in, I don't care what, right? Utilize them and like squeeze all their knowledge out of them <laughs> and share to the other staff and 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 use them to their maximum capacity like as a manager i would love to get my hands on one and and where can i clone them teach them train them bring them up um you know even from my current staff like if i could say hey does anybody have this desire you know commitment let's get after it let's do it because you know again just having that as a part of your team like you said there's so much more um, responsibility with that but that's amazing to have that type of um, caliber technician on your team. I just, I can't imagine um, anybody even thinking about passing up an opportunity to have a VTS on their team. Like that's just top of the top, creme de la creme, right? (laughs) So let's get into the meat. Uh, This podcast is about being a positive leader and we decided to make it cute with PAW, but we are interviewing and tackling lots of situations that managers face, but but anybody could face them. Everything from HR to managing inventory to, you know, dealing with social media marketing and all, all kinds of stuff about running a, a veterinary practice. And so Andrea and I are both managers. I am a technician. Uh, I've not been on the floor for a while, but, but I am. And I, we want to flip this a little bit and say, you know, guys, you came on to tell us as managers a few things that we get really wrong when it comes to technicians. And what I mean by that, and and I would like you guys to be as honest as possible because we need to learn, the managers need to learn why technicians are so valuable. I know many do, I know many do. Um, And and the ones that don't, it's it's not personal, it's just they probably have a mix of uncredentialed staff and they're kind of all lumped together. But there is a a national association for technicians and there's VTSs and everything. So what are a few things, and let's be honest here, we get wrong when it comes to you guys and then how can managers and practices do it better um you know jeff or david whoever whoever's got a a fiery one jump in and and let's talk about this a little bit uh i'll start off and this is not a dig on andrea but but not knowing what we do having knowledge of what we actually do and actually being someone that's been on the floor to understand uh exactly what it what it is that we do is, is a big one for me is because I've worked with some managers that have never spent a day on the floor. And to me, understanding the stresses that I'm going through and the, and the, the, the things that, that drive me is just not there for them. I, again, I, I realize that that's not something that I can, I can change overnight with some of these uh, managers that I've worked with. But that, that, sure, that sure. is a big stumbling block I've found sometimes mm-hmm. is that they, they just don't know what we're dealing with. So walk a mile in your shoes, right? Exactly. I think that's walk good a mile advice in shoes, for... Yeah any position. I mean, there's this concept and it's silly, but it's called management by walking around. And, Mm -hmm. and, And it used to be 
I, I think Andrew, you probably remember where it was like, oh, don't micromanage people, don't look over their shoulder. But what they've actually found is we're not supposed to look over the shoulder, but we're supposed to be there. We're supposed to be yes, right. in to it with support. Them. Right. Yeah. And say, look, I got to go to my office, I got to run payroll, or I got to do some spreadsheets, or I'm taking an office day. But there is such a valuable piece to being like, I'm just going to hang out in the corner on the floor. I don't know what everything's going on in here. I'm a manager, but let me just hang out. You guys show me what you do. You tell me yeah. what you do so that you, you know, everybody's got that that viewpoint. And I think, David, you had a good point at the beginning where we talked about, you know, someone had mentioned DKA and you kind of had to go into that a little bit and explain that. And, you know, my background is is I have a bachelor's in, in animal health science. So I get some of it, right? I, I didn't go on to get my RVT, but I get some of it. But I'll tell you what, as a manager, you better believe that, like, my laptop was on, you know, sitting on the x-ray table, doing payroll on the x-ray table so that I could be a part and hear and listen to what's going on. And yeah, I can place catheter if I absolutely have to. And I can, I can intubate, you know, if I need to, but Lord knows I don't want to. I want the technician who's trained to do it and is better at it than me, quite frankly. But that absolutely is so, so valuable, Dave. And I appreciate you being able to call us managers to the carpet and say, hey, listen, if you really want to know about this, like I'm not going to teach you exactly the physiological response of DKA and everything that goes mm-hmm. with it, but I am going to tell you that I'm managing this case and the nursing care on this case, and and this is what I need to do my job correctly and to the best of my abilities. And I think managers do need to understand that, yes, you need to let your 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 techs do what they're supposed to be doing, but you should you should know how to support them through that right ordering the right equipment giving them enough time space whatever whatever it looks like for that particular um technician and case and and in their workspace so thank you dave well and and it's also not it's not just all that it's more about you know i've worked some shifts where you know we've got 15 triages that are that are in the building and uh i'm gonna have to stay late and then i get questioned why why did you get overtime this week uh well because Mm -hmm. Somebody had to leave and somebody had to stay right. and I was the yeah. one that stayed. Somebody so. was crashing. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. right, right. You were doing your yeah. job and you got right. overtime. Good board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, what about you? What, what's, you know, give, give us one that calls us to the carpet. I feel like so many of us, I don't even know how, but just get promoted to a supervisory or a managerial type position. And I don't even know if we really want it. I know me. <laughs> Absolutely I, right, Jeff. I, I, I know me, and I'm speaking here yeah. personally, I am a terrible manager of people. I can motivate and I can encourage and I can do all mm-hmm. those kinds of things, but I am I am not... I, every spreadsheet we have for the podcast, Dave does. I cannot make a spreadsheet <laughs> to save my life. Um, I'm, just, I'm just not a good manager of people. And so... Mm-hmm. That was not a path I wanted to go down, and I feel like many of us, especially in this field, again, I don't know if it's if it's vet med centric or if it's out there more than this, but we just end up in these roles, and mm-hmm. I don't think we take a step back and say, "Do I even enjoy doing this? Do I do I mm-hmm. like doing this aspect of things, mm-hmm. or or do I really want to be on the floor and and I have to spend a couple hours and do this? So I, I'm doing this job really really well, but I'm doing this other job that I probably should be doing really really poorly, um, and I'm 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 basically now two full time jobs in, in one 40 hour work week. Like you know I, I think this that finds its way into this field a lot, and I, I especially mm-hmm. like you know I yes for I sure. think in single yeah. doctor practices and what have you, not maybe the the bigger kind of places, but. Uh, but I think that's a, that's kind of a big problem, and not just you know how do how do we solve that problem, but but as the individual that finds themselves in that role, like do some self evaluation and, and like do you enjoy your new 
found responsibility right, or your right. newfound job tasks and right. and do you want to pursue that or or you know and, and if not it has to be okay to then take a step mm-hmm. back and go back to the role that you were and yeah. not just leave the practice right. yeah i feel like there's this totem pole right of employees yeah. Yeah. and as one falls off the top because they the you know one, quit moved yep. away whatever it is right then the yeah. next person that's there like who's ever yeah. been there the longest right. and it it's doesn't just kind necessarily of mean because right. yeah by default because right. you're right. on that totem pole right right and, right. and then you're not asked to be on that totem pole you weren't asked for those responsibilities or duties and oftentimes we have these technicians that are introverts and maybe they don't like managing maybe they can't make a spreadsheet and all of a sudden like we're expecting them to have this you know manager role on or leadership role and they're like oh my gosh this doesn't fit i don't like it it's super uncomfortable i'm super itchy like this is yucky yeah and 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 there's no conversation at all whatsoever about like hey so what do you think about this can i give you some training i mean you know training in veterinary medicine is like you know first day there's your phone that's where your lunch goes there's the break room right. ready go right and it's <laughs> and, and that I, same way with supervisors and you I, know, yeah. they get promoted yeah. to that yeah and i think by and large many of us and myself included are poor communicators and and so we don't we don't even we didn't know how to have the conversation about like hey I've just been promoted. I like, didn't even want what, this in the first what, place. Yeah, right. but, but then like three or six or nine or 12 months later, be like, I really don't like this. Yeah. Um, how, how, A, how do, how I, do I backtrack to where mm-hmm. I just was? And so what's the only logical solution? Leave the practice. I mean, right. And then the <laughs> right. next person is, the and then the next person, person is, is in line to do the, to make the, <laughs> yeah. you know, yep. have the same pitfalls. Round and round. Right. Yeah. yeah. Amy yeah. Newfield said it best in her new book. Oops, I became a manager. Right. And right. We'll put exactly. a link to that because I think it's a great resource. For absolutely. Yeah. Not even just tech managers, but new managers in general. Like I was the, you know, the lead CSR and then whoop, I became a manager. Yeah. And uh, it really is a book about, you know, what the heck to do. What what could somebody do if they're thinking, you know, I love my technicians. I want to do X for them. I want to give them a better benefit. I want to give them a better uh, work experience. I want to improve their engagement. What's just one thing that uh, that they could do? Uh, you, you, you used a word in there, benefit. And I, I think for me, you know, I, I think a lot of people come in and start as, as veterinary assistants or even those that have just gone through vet tech school, you know, like say out of college and, and gotten credentialed, you know, in their late teens, early 20s. And at that point in life, thinking back to when I was at that age, like the money talks, right? I mean, like the money is the important thing. Like I didn't really care about 401ks and retirements and that, but certainly as my career has progressed, it's been, you know, eventually the, the reality is you get to a number in terms of an hourly wage in a, in a clinic setting or, or whatever job type you have where you're kind of almost maxed out. I mean, you might get, mm-hmm. you know, merit increases here or there, but, but where to me at this stage of my career, I think we're a huge improvement could be made is setting yourself apart from other practices in terms of the benefits that you offer mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. 401k and matching yeah. um, you know uh, aflac or other supplemental insurance mm-hmm. or things that actually matter as as we get a little bit older and mm-hmm. we start families or we maybe have health problems or we this that or the other uh, I know a, um, a general practice around here that um, offered a once you were there I think for six months they paid for a 24-hour fitness gym membership because they they want to encourage you to be healthier if you are a large practice and you can have, you know, offer an employee assistance program or, um, you know, even a social worker or different thing, you know, just different things to kind of set yourself apart. And that's one thing for me that I think lacks is, 
you know, certainly when I think way, way back in the day, I mean, it was a big thing when, when we actually got health insurance. But then we never, like nothing else ever really came in terms of, of benefit. And, and that to me, like really decreased staying power. And and I, I think you're right, Jeff, where we have to start thinking outside of the box and be non-traditional when it comes to here's your hourly rate. And instead of that saying our total compensation package, and that looks like all these benefits. Right. And, and sometimes they're different. Like... I offered a job to a gal today just on the phone. And part of that benefit package was, you know, there's food in the break room 24-7. You don't have to bring breakfast and you don't have to bring snacks. Right. We offer scrubs. We pay for three to four scrubs per year. Mm-hmm. And we have a deeply discounted veterinary service package where your pets are going to be covered. Yeah. And, you know, that that's only going to help if you have, you know, pets at home, which most of us do. But there's certain things that you can decrease their monthly bills. For sure. Right? For sure. Yeah. By offsetting that in a different way. So yeah. I think there is things that we can be a little bit more outside of the box and non-traditional and offer different things that are business write-offs too, because we do want to compensate each and every one of you to the best of our ability financially and be able to afford you at the practice, but we also can't have you leave the practice and go outside of the profession because we just can't offer, you know, a fair wage. And and that is, I mean, our whole profession is battling that right now, right? So it's, it's not something we're going to handle on an hour long call, but sure. you're right. Just one practice, do one thing to offer yeah. something outside of the box or different than we normally would do. Gym memberships, all these kinds of great things to help offset that. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I was working at Tufts, uh, my, my most recent clinic job, um, one of the things that they did was for all like major cell phone providers, they had different discounts, you know, set up. So I think I got like 19% off my Verizon bill every month for just being a Tufts employee. And of course, you know, that's, that's, that's university wide, right? I mean, it's like a lot of people, so probably not like a realistic thing, but again, it's while, while they weren't able to put additional money into my check. Like I, I took a pretty sizable pay, ch- pay cut to go across country and, and work in Massachusetts, even in an academic setting. While they couldn't put more money into my check, it made it made it so that the money that it I was it getting, farther, it stretched though. it farther. Yeah, and it, right. it took less money out of my paycheck. And that was that that meant a lot. Yeah. So if you could give us one or two things that veterinary practices and managers specifically do right when it comes to the technical team, give me an idea and pat us on the back a little bit for things that we do right that either encourage you or encourage you to stay, encourage you to be more engaged, or that you really feel like are just amazing things that that um, the managers can do to support their um, technical team. I'll jump in here. I'm a big proponent of continuing education, and you know, there's been some practices that I've uh, been offered jobs at that did not offer me enough money to go to a conference for for CE and I you know I, I've turned them down and said this is enough and we're too far apart and you know again going on that whole thing of of making the entire package of your yeah being right. hired the total um, benefit package total benefit mm-hmm. package yeah and you know one of the practices that I I did that they offered me I think first year was going to be $250 I'm like that's not even going to pay my that's not, it doesn't even pay for your license <laughs> yeah exactly so I right. was like that yeah we're too far apart cuz I'm I'm getting now I'm getting over over a thousand dollars because that's what it costs to send me to a conference and well now our conferences are super cheap right they're all virtual well, well yeah last <laughs> ibex last year was what next year we'll bump it up but this year yeah. no <laughs> well yeah because they got to cover the cost that they lost last year but anyways promoting continuing education is is really important in, in my mind and you know the more educated your staff is the more knowledgeable they are the better your entire team is so if you send someone to a conference or multiple people to a conference and they learn 
four or five pearls of knowledge to bring back to that clinic, that's going to elevate your practice so much in just the the sending of those those technicians out to a conference to to give them education and and give them not only just the the education aspect of it, but the the benefit of being able to leave the hospital on the hospital's dime to go uh, hang out and network with people and meet new people that are in that field. Because so many times, you know, when, before I started going to conferences, I knew the people in my clinic and that was it. I didn't know anyone right. else. Yeah, um, the networking. Yeah, yeah it's the amazing. networking is huge right. because that, that huge. gets you that that knowledge of what, what are people doing in different parts of the country where – right. If you're only working one practice in where I work in North Carolina, you're going to get the knowledge of that practice and nothing else. Um, so I yeah, always promote so getting out there and Just learning to share other stuff. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One thing I do, I absolutely love to recommend to managers is um, building their um, annual increase into how much CE they have. Yeah. And so you have to have nine, you know, 10, nine staff meetings a year where each staff meeting I'm going to have um, a little bit of an educational piece in there. So even if you can't leave the practice, you're still getting nine hours of CE a year in order to qualify for a raise or yes, offer a nice fat package um, for you to go to a conference or attend even something local. And then Mm -hmm. when you come back, spend some time at the next staff meeting sharing about what you learned. Um, Hey, they, they, you know, I met this colleague over here at the state that does this, you know, has this spreadsheet that Jeff didn't make, but, <laughs> um, you know, they have this way of, of, of writing down their hospital treatment sheets, or they have this flow sheet that I really liked. I'd like to share it with, you know, this is what I learned about a DKA case or, right. or whatever it is. And I think that lets the other staff know that like, wow, going to these conferences, I'm going to bring back something and, right. and really educate myself on better patient care, better client care, better communication, something like that. So I just love that, you know, yes, being able to send the team out for CE, but then also like bring it back and and bring that full circle back to how are we changing what we're doing tomorrow in our practice with something that you learned at the conference. Right. Right. Right, Because otherwise, what was the point? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, well, and why why would managers... Why yeah. would managers send you out if you just came back and you kept all that information yourself? What's right. the point yeah. for them? Yeah, or yep. just kept doing yep. the same same you <laughs> yeah, know, same, old the same thing. way. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So to bring it home, this podcast we always like to make sure is really high value and provides something tangible. And our and our kind of mantra is: What could a veterinary manager or positive leader do tomorrow? Literally tomorrow, we're talking. I mean, it's it's uh, Friday today, so we'll say it's Monday morning at eight a.m. What are one or two things, guys? Real high value that tomorrow uh, the next working day they could put into place to support their veterinary technicians and assistants really small value you know or high value small small target gather your staff and find out what motivates them find out what they need to stay at this job what do they need and i mean a lot of times they're going to say i need five more dollars an hour but but take that to heart to say okay money is your is your motivating factor or ce sometimes you have to weed through it yeah Yeah. so find out what motivates them what's going to keep them to stay because I mean, we're we're losing technicians at a really rapid rate. It's what is it, right. five to seven years is the lifespan of a technician. Yes. So yeah, find out yeah. what is going to keep them in that hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and I love question. doing those. Um, I do the survey monkeys. Yeah, you know, usually like once a year for my staff to say, okay, where are we at? Kind of what's the pulse? And it's it's yeah. supposed to be um, anonymous, right? Where 
but they all talk about it. So nothing really happens in veterinary medicine without everybody else knowing about <laughs> right, it. Right, but, you right. know, asking those kinds of questions, like, what have I done good? What have I done right. bad as a manager? Where can we as the, you know, the ownership kind of leadership team, mm-hmm. where where can we support you better, right? What can yeah. we do? What do you need from us? What's important to you? And I think just kind of taking a pulse on the team to say, hey, yeah. what do you guys like and what do you hate? What are you using? What are you not using? What do you need? Yeah. Even, you know, something easy as equipment, right? We right. need a new tono pen. Right. <laughs> Right, right, it's been right. broken forever. Awesome. Yeah. You know, those types of things where I think just checking in with your team and getting a pulse of what's mm-hmm. going on and saying, hey, what can I do to, to maybe even prevent somebody from, like you said, leaving the profession? Mm-hmm. Is it a raise? Is it an EAP program? Is it more yeah. CE benefits? You know. So just ask and, the question. And yeah. you also Huge. you have to do something about it. Too. And then do you, it. Yeah, you have right. to. You have to. You may have to right. make some compromises. You may have to make some sacrifices, but you have to do. You have to do one of those things on the list, <laughs> whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, Fair right. Mm-hmm. If you need a new Fair tono pen, too. figure yeah, out yeah, how are you going yeah. to carve out the money for that pen, right? Yeah. That tono yeah. pen. Like it, if they ask for it, figure it out and do it, right? Yeah. Stick mm-hmm. to it. Exactly. So if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, what would it be and why that? As Dave was kind of saying earlier, you know, that, that there are that some managers that don't have the training as being a veterinary technician, there's a lot of veterinary technicians that don't have the training as the manager and don't understand those challenges. So mm-hmm. are right. there are there things that, not that you have to open up the books or, you know, bring them in and set them, you know, let them watch you do spreadsheets, but are there things that you can educate the staff about why some of these things are taking time or why you're having a hard time finding staff or, or why we can't just open up the checkbook and buy the, you know, $50,000 piece of equipment that sure, we think we need today. Groceries. Right. You know, right. and yeah. like, but like involve them in that to some degree. And I don't know where that line is, but, and not, you know, so that it's not just always like, well, I'll take it under advisement or, well, you know, I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it to my bosses or to the owners or whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some way, because again, I think that, that, that then makes the people care about the practice a little bit more, care about what it is that they're sure, doing. And it just, it's, it's, yeah, engagement and involvement. And just, yeah, you know, so, I, you know, is there some way that, that as managers that you can, um, you know, help educate the staff why things take a little yeah, while? Yeah, and I think you know? some of that transparency is just, is, is just, like you say, you don't have to show them a PL report, right? And say, hey, look, and this is, you know, the reason where all this money is going and we don't have money for that. But just being open to them and saying, hey, listen, we, we did add that to the budget this year. Uh, we did have to come up with some other expenses we didn't realize, you know, but yeah. we're working on it, right? right. There is, still can be some kind of transparency there where it doesn't have to be completely full open books, but it still can be, you know, hey, we, we're taking it under advisement. We're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z to, to try to make that happen. Um, and I think, yeah, there is some transparency to numbers as well. I love just even at the monthly staff meeting saying like, okay, here's a $5 gift card. Can anybody even guess what our lab bill was this month? Yeah. You know, when yeah. you tell yeah. them you have a $10,000 lab bill and all their jaw hit the ground, you know, yeah. they have yeah. an idea right. of what the expense is or the electric bill. Cause everybody pays an electric bill. Right. And if you have to pay a $2,500 electric bill, like who's coming up with that money? You right. know? <laughs> Otherwise you have zero concept of, of what it costs to right. run a clinic. Yes. Uh, so right. if you want more out of it, like, Sometimes you have to put more into it. Yeah. Yeah, they turn the lights off, (laughs) right? Like, don't leave the light on every room if you don't need it. Right. (laughs) You know, conserve a little bit here. Yeah. I would just say, like, make sure it's for you. Make sure you enjoy it and that's the path that you want to take and that you're not just, 
you've not just been promoted just because mm-hmm. um, yeah. or by default or that, that you actually like enjoy that, um, you know, all that, that goes with that. Uh, I think a lot of us, you know, especially those that have, have been technicians, like it's hard to retire as a veterinary technician. Um, you know, it's just physically, you know, it's, it's hard to work till your, till your retirement age. And so, you know, we always look for other things to do, but there are certainly those that do. But if, if, you know, if that's, if it's going to be hard to walk away from the, you know, leave the clinic stuff behind for the management stuff, you know, that's, that's a, that's a very serious discussion to have with yourself is, is, is that what you want to do? Are you going to be able to be as good at that as you were at whatever you were doing previously? Because, you know. That's that's and that's an important question. So at this part in the show, we have been able to talk about these outrageous and funny stories that make our chin hit the ground and our eyes pop out like pugs and just say like no way that just happened. Is that seriously real? Like, pinch me, am I dreaming? You could never make that shit up story. And of course, change the names to protect the innocent. But do you have a short story that you can share with us that made your made you just want to like palm slap on the forehead? No way that just happened. Um, so we had this, I don't want to say it was a rescue. It was somebody that was doing rescue. And she had this litters uh there were there are multiple of these kittens that all had panleukopenia um for those of you that don't know panleukopenia it's a highly contagious uh feline disease we had i think three of of her kittens in our isolation ward these kittens were really really sick and she did not want to give up surprise surprise they all died she had she adopted adopted them realized they were sick and brought them to us so she had these kittens in her possession for maybe 12 hours total tops uh she wanted to do private cremation for every single one of them. Um, private cremations were roughly about $200 a kitten. So she wow. spent a lot of money on these private cremations for these kittens that she had in her possession for 12, 12 hours or so. She had done the private cremations and we got these back and we called her to say, your private cremations are here. Um, they're here to be picked up whenever you're ready. You know, at the time we were, we were saying, you know, Whenever, whenever you're ready to come pick them up, you know, we're, we're trying to be empathetic and saying, sure, it's not something that has to go to go right now. You know, at, at some point when you when you have a chance coming in and pick up these uh, cremains and uh, a month went by, we called her again. She still didn't come in. Uh, we called multiple times, maybe two years after that. So a total of six years after these kittens had been had had been passed on and, and cremated. We tried calling her again and left multiple messages, uh, sent her actual snail mail. We sent her an actual letter to say, your kittens are here to be picked up. Please let us know what you want to do with them. Still didn't come in, still didn't come in. Wouldn't you know, a week later, the woman called and said, I'm ready to come get my kittens. (gasps) And uh, we we said, we've contacted you multiple times about this. And she says, well, I just wasn't ready. I, I, I... I was too emotional to come pick them up, and and we said, "Ma'am, it's been it's been six years, uh, right, for these kittens that you've had for twelve hours." I still think of that woman every time I see uh, cremains come in. Of are they going to come pick these up, or are we going to? Yeah. Oh gosh. Be dealing with these the for, six, for years. six years. So, guys, this is the part of the show where we like to ask you uh, a couple of real quick questions, and we want the Freudian rapid response. You know, thirty seconds or less, uh, and I'll just direct it at both of you. Are you ready to go? Go for it. I think so. 
So Jeff, tell me about your most epic failure that's left a lasting impact. Uh, I think my most epic failure, um, I remember a case, again, I'm going back many, many, many years, um, a client called, um, I think I'd been an assistant maybe a year, uh, asking about Rapid, And I said, it wouldn't be a problem uh, without even asking anybody uh, <laughs> because I thought, how could it you know, how, oh, no. how, how could it be a problem right. for a dog? All right, Dave, tell me about your proudest moment. We had this patient that came in. Uh, it was a young Labrador that had gotten into something. Maybe maybe it was stung by a bee. But anyways, his, his uh, trachea was starting to swell up. And the two doctors that were there were panicking. They're like, he's, he's turning blue. Uh, he needs a tracheostomy tube. And one doctor looked at the other and says, I don't know how to do that. And the other doctor looked at her, her and said, I don't know how to do that. And, and so I placed a tracheostomy tube uh, with with two doctors watching me, and that dog survived. So that's my proudest moment. So, Jeff, why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? I, I love meeting all of the people in it and all of the different things that you can do in veterinary medicine, which I'm learning more and more about every day. Dave, how do you balance work and life? And do you experience a work guilt or a family guilt in that balance? One thing to do is leave a job that doesn't allow you to have both. And that's what I've done recently. So that's one way that I do it. I'm I'm a big runner and um, I've, I've set a goal of running the year this year, 2021 miles. And if I have a day where I'm not running, then I have to wonder, am I doing too much work or am I not doing enough family stuff? And balancing that is just, is just making time for everything and understanding that you need both of those things. And Jeff, what keeps you up at night? Something that you stress out over, things that cause you anxiety in your life? An upcoming Packers game <laughs> or, uh, you know, <laughs> so, something go. along those lines. Go, but I, I'm, I'm very Yeah, I'm very happy to say, like, I... I I've never been one to go to bed thinking about a patient or, you know, I, I have, for whatever reason, I have always been able, like when I walked out that door, I left work at work. That was something I, for whatever reason, was always good at. I, I never brought patients home. Dave, what gets you up and out of the bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Getting up, starting that day and, and you know, seeing what the day has. If it's a day that I'm working, you know, obviously we've got the farm full of animals. So those those always give me a lot of joy. Jeff and Dave, I cannot thank you guys enough for coming on the podcast. Yes. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Um, thank we you. wish you all the best with that Tech Cafe, and we look forward to many more collaborations in the future. Well, thank you for having us. It was great to have you both. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. Social media management and website design by Dog Days Consultant. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. 
The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrew Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.